I'll get comfortable. I'll go fast. That's right. Well, Chag Masayimus Sameach. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Help me, God. Okay. Well, I just wanted to start off by mentioning Hanukkah, although Dan's mentioned a bunch of things. See if I can transition this. I like to see Hanukkah as like a built-in Advent because it's really this anticipation and this momentum that builds up to the celebration of the birth of Yeshua. Uh, And really, I taught on this a few years ago, Hanukkah and Christmas have a lot of parallels, uh, and I could go through them, but I won't. Uh, And even uh, chronologically, you see, of course, that Hanukkah comes before Christmas. So to me, it's great. In our home, we celebrate both, and so it's great for the kids, too. Uh, And it's really just this season of celebration of salvation. Because that's what Hanukkah is, the celebration of salvation and deliverance. And of course, the celebration of Yeshua is the same. So my, my short teaching this morning uh, is titled, Yeshua, the Super Son of David. I was going to do a Superman lightning bolt, but I thought that just didn't quite seem appropriate. Uh, Yeshua, Super Son of David. And so I want to start in Isaiah chapter 9. And Sam actually spontaneously sang this song uh, or this verse this morning. So I want to read it to you again. It says, For to us a child is born, a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and shalom, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish and uphold it through justice and righteousness from now until forevermore. This is really one of the greatest covenantal passages in Scripture. It has so much in it. It has this super son of David this God-man, and he's going to set up his throne and uphold it with justice, righteous, with perfect justice, righteousness, and shalom forever. This is pretty good news. And it also shows us that Yeshua is a Democrat. And here's why. The text clearly says here, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. So it's established right here. But really this super son of David, I mean, there has to be this supernatural element to this reality to this person to this kingdom and of course only God could do that and look many people want this kingdom this peace this righteousness this justice the world is is well raging about it right now which is a little uh, uh, ironic I guess 
But the problem is, is they have a wrong definition of justice and righteousness. And so, and they want to rule and reign right now. And if they just understood the reality of how the Lord's kingdom worked, we'd be a little bit better off. Because what we really need is this perfection of heaven's throne to come and to be established on the earth. And if we looked at Psalm 89, what we would see is this, it's this great Davidic covenant psalm. And in the context of this Davidic throne, what we have is this famous passage where it says that the foundation of God's throne is what? Righteousness and justice. So it's this righteousness and justice of the heavenly throne, the perfect throne, that we want to come and be established on the earth. And so in order to do that, what we find out, of course, is that we need this special God-man, this super son of David. So let me cut out a section here and get to my main emphasis. And that is, and it's really wordy, and it's because we talk about the miracle of the virgin birth. Well, that doesn't quite summarize, I think, the, the depth of what's really taking place here. So I'm going to just put my words to it, and you can, see, you can see why this didn't catch on, okay? Because it's really the miracle of the virgin betrothed conceiving the God-man or the son of David. It doesn't quite have the same ring, does it? It's, it's a little more complicated. So this is what I want to jump into, is that the miracle that I want to emphasize is the conception. Yes, it's the birth, but it's more so the conception. Remember, God's pro-life. Did you know that? Bill, he's actually created billions and billions of people. You can't get any more pro-life than that. Okay, but... Life, therefore, starts at conception, which means Yeshua's life started when? Conception. And so it's like Dan was saying, if you fast forward or rewind, if you will, nine or ten months from Sukkot, you land right here. If Sukkot is, in fact, his birth, which I'm not so sure. But let's say it is. Either way, there's a reason to celebrate this time of year. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 7, this famous and important prophetic passage. Verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin, in Hebrew the Alma, will conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name God with us. Emmanuel. This is pretty extraordinary when you just take this simple verse here, because it's saying that the Alma will conceive God. This is difficult to wrestle with. There's really two miracles taking place here. First, the virgin is conceiving. That's extraordinary, right? That's supernatural. And secondly, she's conceiving a God-man. This has got, got supernatural written all over it. Now, the question that many people talk about is this question of the... is this really mean virgin? Does Alma mean virgin or young maiden or both? 
But really, when you look at the argument, and I think Dan would attest this since he's here, is that the argument doesn't hold weight at all. That it's clear in the text, it's clear in the context, and even when you look in the Septuagint, they end up translating this word parthenos, which unequivocally means virgin. And then when you look in the totality of Scripture, what you see is that alama is used only seven times, and every time that it's used, it speaks of a young, unmarried woman of good reputation, meaning virgin. In every culture throughout all of history, I think you could say, up until about 50 years ago, a woman of good reputation was a virgin when she was young. So this is what it's talking about. But I want to take a look at these references to Alma in Scripture because they teach us something kind of fun. Four of the seven times Alma is mentioned, it's, it's generic. We see it in, Psalm, in Psalms and Proverbs and in Song of Songs. And it's just speaking of a generic uh, woman. But then we get into three times this talking about a specific woman. The first we just saw in Isaiah 7. And the second, and we can look at this, is Genesis chapter 24. Genesis 24 is the story when Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And the servant is praying and asking God to have this another supernatural encounter to find his wife. He finds Rebecca because she offers this extra drink of water for his camels. And then we pick it up here in verse 43. And he's retelling this story to Rebecca's family. He says, so let it be that the unmarried girl, the Alma, who is going out to draw water, to whom I'll say, please give me a little water to drink from your jug, and she'll say to me, you drink, and I'll also draw water for your camels. Let her be the woman whom Adonai appoints for my master. So here we have this context of Rebecca, unmarried. And then to just really seal the deal, if we rewind a few verses to verse 16, the text says, The girl was very fair to look upon, a virgin, here the Hebrew word is betulah, whom no man had known. So it's clear in the context here that the alma is a virgin. Now, the last one, Exodus 2, verse 8. Pharaoh's daughter has just found Moses. So Yocheved had put him in the basket, and it's miraculous once again. And what we find is that Miriam, Moses' older sister, is following uh, the ark. It's the same word as the ark. Did you know that? Floating through the Nile. It's saving Moses. And she takes the baby. And then, of course, what happens is, is that she decides to take him for her own. And this verse here, here says, Pharaoh's daughter told her, meaning Miriam, go. And so the girl, the Alma, went and called the child's mother. So Yocheved can, in fact, nurse her own child, which is quite amazing. So the key here, what I'm pointing this one out is to say what? Is that, and I stole most of this from Asher and Trader, which is this, although... Uh, 
David Stearns also has this connection. But what we see here is that the Alma's name is Miriam. So, when we combine all of these together, and this is a little mystical here, but I want you to see this, it's pretty amazing, is what it says is that the unmarried virgin named Miriam will conceive the God-man. Do you see this combination of Alma in the scripture talking about this specific woman? So what I want to point out is that the conception here is this great miracle and that this was actually prophesied long before this. In fact, it's before uh, Isaiah or Moses or Abraham. It actually goes back to the garden. This great proto-gospel prophecy in Genesis 3.15 where it says, I will put animosity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head, and you will crush his heel. So we're seeing the seed of a woman here being Yeshua himself, the seed of the woman coming from Miriam. And you see that the Lord even has this hidden, but it's in the Tanakh, and then it's coming to fruition at the conception of Yeshua. Now, this is really, I think, fun, but there are two genealogies of Yeshua in the Gospels. And when you look at the Luke genealogy, which the Luke genealogy is much more about the birth narrative of Yeshua, the the Luke genealogy actually takes Yeshua's line and goes all the way back to Adam. So in Luke, who's very concerned about the birth and conception of Yeshua... It's almost like uh, God is, is showing off here, and he's saying, look, I'm taking this all the way back to Genesis 3, and I'm showing you that Yeshua is the seed of the woman. You see that? That's what he's saying. That's why it's in there. He's saying he is the fulfillment of this original promise that God gave to Adam and the woman. But the problem is, is that the seed of the woman needs to defeat evil and sin and death. Meaning it can't just be a human. It needs to be Superman. Or a Superman, right? And really we see this in Isaiah 9. We we need a child to be born who is mighty God. Prince of Peace. Who's going to uphold justice and righteousness. Who's going to establish the throne of David? This is a superman. Even in just the plain sense of the text, you have to be God and man in that text. But we have a problem, and that is that David's children keep dying because they're human. They weren't supermen. In fact, you read the story in Kings and Chronicles, they're far from it, aren't they? a colleague in my doctoral program. He's a Messianic rabbi in Dallas. And he's an expert in how Jews created the comic book industry. Christmas carols and the comic book industry. I didn't know this. I thought you guys might find this interesting. 
Marvel Comics and DC Comics were both started by Jews. Jews created Superman, Captain America, Spider-Man, the Hulk, Iron Man, X-Man, and more. Did you know that? And what he argues, and he's trying to do his doctoral dissertation on this. I don't know how he's going to do this. (laughs) But he's arguing that all of these superhero characters have different biblical, they're based on either biblical characters or, or godly attributes. And that's where we get all these superheroes. That's a complete side note, but that one I thought was fun. The question becomes, how is it that God could become the seed of a woman and the rightful heir of the Davidic throne and maintain his divinity? This is complicated, right? How could God? It's hard to even explain to your child that he's fully God and fully man, especially this time of year. It's like all of a sudden now Yeshua is a baby. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of hard. Now he's a baby. The rest of the year he's not a baby, and now he's a baby. So how do we explain that? Well, it's the divine part that God the Father takes care of. And in Matthew 1.18, I love how God solves this. It's very simple. Matthew 1.18, he says, Now the birth of Yeshua the Messiah happened this way. It's real simple, Okay. It happened this way. When his mother Miriam was betrothed to Joseph, but before they came together, meaning sexually, she was found to be pregnant through the Ruach HaKodesh. That's it. The Gospels don't make a big deal about this fact. Have you noticed this? Is this problem solved? I mean, Joseph's not... Uh, Yeshua's biological father, right? And so he doesn't have, or does he, the Davidic throne rights if he's not his biological father. Now, the other genealogy helps us out on looking at this issue. Because the Matthew genealogy is Joseph for sure. It's debatable on on the Luke one, whether it's Joseph or it's Miriam. But the Matthew one is Joseph, and it only goes back to Abraham. I'll read you Matthew 1 here. The book of the genealogy of Yeshua HaMashiach, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah, etc., etc. The emphasis here is son of David, and son of Abraham. The emphasis here is that Yeshua is, in fact, the Israelite Jewish king. In fact, Matthew, the whole gospel, is emphasizing the, the king, uh, kingdom and the king of Yeshua. So it's, it's fascinating to me, at least, that there's no question, really, about the Davidic heritage and the fatherly Davidic heritage of Yeshua, even though Joseph is not his biological father. Now, most of you maybe not have thought about this, but, but Jewish people care about this. Because this is the son of David is the one who is supposed to come and rule and reign and establish peace on earth, as we just sang about and read about. So what's the key? 
How can we, the gospel doesn't make a big deal about this? Well, the key is understanding biblical marriage laws of the Torah. Deuteronomy 22, we won't turn there, but I'll summarize it for you. It describes a betrothed man and woman, and then what happens if one of them uh, gets into immorality. And what the text is clear about is that be, to be betrothed, according to the scripture, is to be legally married. Now, today in Jewish weddings, uh, I was a part of a Jewish wedding, they do the betrothal ceremony like an hour before the marriage, okay? But during the time of Yeshua, we know it would be maybe a year or so before the actual wedding itself. But the key is, is that according to the scripture, according to the Torah, they were legally married. The answer is that the Torah is the foundational revelation of Scripture. Therefore, the law is not done away with. If the law is done away with, Yeshua doesn't have the rights to the Davidic earthly throne. The miracle is in his conception. Yeshua had to be conceived when Miriam was a virgin and betrothed to Yosef. Do you see it? Miriam had to be physically a virgin, but legally married. So the conception had to happen in that period of time, not before or after. So it's not just the virgin birth, it's the virgin betrothed conceiving during this period of time. Now, Because of this, Yeshua now has kingship throne rights on the earth through the son of David. And remember, the reason he can even do that is because he already has heavenly throne rights as the son of God, the father, Yeshua bar Abba, it says. So he gets his heavenly throne rights from the father And he gets his earthly throne rights from David, the earthly king. Now, you might say, this seems uh, a bit technical, Tom. Right? It's true, it's technical, but it's no less true. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, if I was a lawyer, I'd say this is pretty brilliant. Did you know God's a lawyer? He established, he came up with the law. He's a lawyer. He established this kingship. And remember, this is quite a challenge for God and man to come together in one person and have the authority of heaven and earth and to reign forever and ever. So I'd say it's not a technicality. It's how you can somehow seamlessly take the eternal God and have him somehow come into time and history and establish his kingdom and become one of us. To put on flesh, as Leah said. And so that's why when we look in the Gospels, there's no question of Yeshua's status as son of David, is there? In fact, people are crying out over and over, what? 
Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then he's moved with compassion and he heals. So this uh, is the miracle of the virgin betrothed conceiving the super son of David. Why don't we stand and I'll pray. I did okay. That was all right. (laughs) So, Father, in this season, uh, we celebrate our salvation. We celebrate Yeshua. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your super son. We thank you for your faithfulness to your word. We thank you for your miracles that happen over and over in our lives. For your faithfulness, your goodness. Lord, we ask that your throne would in fact be established on the earth. Lord, we pray that we could be a part of the establishment of your kingdom. We thank you for being near to us and for being a light for revelation to the nations, as Simeon said, and the glory to the people of Israel. Father, go with us this week. I pray that you would help us to be lights to our families and friends, our co-workers, Lord. We have this opportunity to share with them about the light of Yeshua with a simple response to, how was your Christmas break? How was your time off? Lord, we have, this is this open door. People don't realize that they're opening by asking you how your holiday was. So, Lord, I pray that you would put the words in our mouth, that you would give us the boldness and the confidence to share not some theological reality, not even the complexity of the virgin betrothed, but, Lord, that we would share our own testimony of what you have done for us, of your goodness, that we've tasted and seen that you are good. So, Lord, may we shine through our own testimonies during this season and give the glory to your Son, the Shem Yeshua.